you kind of just start teaching yourself. You come up with an objective. You know, you can choose something that already exists the first few times when you're when you're building, and you build it. You know, you have an idea of what you need, and then you have to go through multiple rabbit holes to figure out all these things. And for the first month, for the first year, for the first three years, it, it that kind of imposter syndrome never goes away. But uh, you know, you just kind of chip away at, at the areas that you don't know. And you turn around uh, a little bit later and suddenly you're uh, pretty good with computer science. You know, if you like it and it's interesting, you just got to start doing it. That's all there is to it. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Built on Web3 podcast, your on-ramp into the world of Web3. On this show, we chat with product leaders, builders, content creators, and business owners about how they're implementing Web3 strategies into their businesses. I hope you learned something new and enjoy today's episode. Before we jump into kind of what you guys are doing in Web3, we like to start with kind of bridging this gap for listeners that don't necessarily know all the technical details of Web3 and blockchains and NFTs and smart contracts. It's a very confusing rabbit hole out here. Um, So I think it's kind of on us and it's our jobs to help explain things more simply and in an easier way for normal people that aren't technical to understand. Um, so we like to start out just with what your guys' definition of Web3 is, because there's a lot out there um, and it's a big question. So I'm interested in how you guys would explain this maybe to your parents. Yeah, so I think um, starting off with my definition, uh, I would define Web3 as the internet of ownership pretty much. You know, uh, It's been said Web1 is uh, basic text files displayed on the early internet and then the 1990s web two is when you have more control of the content that's on the internet. You can actually put content out, out there and um, have an online presence. Um, and then web three is the idea of actually uh, maintaining ownership of digital assets on top of the internet. So web two uh, where we had sites running on databases, data was stored in databases. Uh, you interact through front ends on servers hosted by centralized parties. Uh, now it's more so um, instead of logging in with um, usernames and passwords, you log in with your blockchain wallet. You're able to interact and own pieces of the internet on top of blockchains like Ethereum or Solana. and. Instead of data being um, stored in databases, rendered on the UI that way, it's uh, data stored on smart contracts. Um, you interact with these web, uh, websites through your blockchain wallet. And um, yeah, no, that's that's really the um, definition I give because, um, you know, that, that's the whole thing driving this revolution, just the idea of being able to be in control of your own data, unlike Web2. Yeah. yeah, it's a hard thing to, it's an easy description, right, of uh, it's it's digital ownership. But then when if, if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know anything about Web3, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, I own this JPEG, but what does that mean? How do you how do you answer that, like that follow up question of it's just a JPEG, though? Well, I mean, let's let's say you post the and JPEGs are not my favorite thing to defend. Um, but uh, let's say you post this JPEG on Facebook, um, or I guess a better uh, example might be Dropbox or Google, um, because there's been um, in the news every now and then you hear about like Dan Harmon, uh, Rick and Morty, and and the community. Uh, they just decided to kick him off a of Dropbox for some reason. All of his stuff gone. Um, so. 
you know, that kind of risk is there when you don't own your data. You're, you're trusting a third party to maintain your data. Um, and so just as a caveat with digital assets, an, an asset doesn't necessarily need to be financial. Um, it, it's something you own uh, in cyberspace. So um, the ability to prove ownership with um, a key rather than relying on Facebook or Google or whoever to uh, always be associating your data and your identity is uh, a pretty powerful change in, in how things are done. Um, obviously, you have to store uh, your private key, but we have to store social security numbers, so at least in America. Um, so there's, there's definitely a, a lot of um, similarities, I think, that can be drawn. Yep. Yeah, and I'm excited for when all the, the, like the UI things you mentioned kind of get a lot easier because that's really a big challenge right now is seed phrases and all the like writing things down and keeping them in closets and uh, there's a lot of friction there so I'm looking forward to the day where my mom can get on there and buy something and, and feel good about it <laughs> yeah yeah definitely we'll uh, take a little more uh, innovation by uh, a lot of different people entering the space and a lot of people have been there already so uh, it'll be exciting to see how that's tackled though for sure yeah so give us some background on you guys where what were you doing when you went down this Web3 rabbit hole? Like, what was that aha moment where you just knew you needed to be part of this? So I had been following cryptocurrency for a while. Like, I'd, I'd seen it since, like, 2015, I guess. Um, but I, I wasn't involved with it until 2017. Um, and to gloss over it uh, by 2018, uh, with everyone else who was in the market, uh, it quickly became apparent that trading was not going to be the way that I was able to make money off of this. Um, so I was looking at the, the currency part of cryptocurrency. Um, and uh, at that point, I decided that the crypto part of cryptocurrency might be worth checking out. And uh, from there, it's just been kind of straight towards uh, all, all the stuff that makes up um, the decentralized computing industry. So, Yep. And Ian, what about you? What was your, your rabbit hole moment? Yeah, so I think a good my rabbit hole moment kind of segues into Jack's. Um, so, you know, like he said, I had heard of Bitcoin cryptocurrencies vaguely in the 2016, 2017 range. And obviously, you know, the whole world was kind of shook uh, during the flash crash 2017, 2018, you know, everyone wanted to get in, find their favorite altcoin to buy into and, uh, you know, get rich off of it. And obviously that didn't work. So uh, people kind of forgot myself included for a couple of years. Um, but come the last year of school, um, I actually, I couldn't decide for a while what I wanted to study. And I didn't realize software engineering uh, was the correct route for me till um, the end going into my fourth year. So I ended up doing a fifth year to get my software engineering uh, degree from Miami. It's quite the then, year to, to, to switch majors. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then COVID hit, you know, it's just wild. Uh, but, you know, that ended up making all the difference because, um, you know, I, I definitely did learn a fair bit in school, but it gave me the time to really uh, step back, focus on my entrepreneurial side. And um, I started a company in my last year unrelated to crypto, but I kind of segued into the summer where um, Jack, who also had his own startup out of Miami, um, we linked up, uh, worked on this prototype for a project together, and it just so happened to be based on Ethereum, a uh, smart contract application focused on home construction financing, uh, which was a novel, innovative idea at the time and still is. Um, 
But he working together, I learned, you know, blockchain, it's beyond cryptocurrency. There's actual programmability um, and the whole decentralized nature of applications on top of a blockchain. That's really what I learned that summer. And, um, you know, come the end of this project, I expressed I had interest in learning this. Uh, he hooked me up with a boot camp and the rest is history. You know, two years later, still working together. Um, it's kind of crazy how that happens. But uh, yeah, no, wouldn't change a thing in the world the past two years. Well, hey, Thomas and I started a company at Miami as well when we were in school. Oh, yeah. And now we're, I think, 10 years later. So time flies. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so how, how really cool. How does someone who's senior in high school or senior plus one, whatever whatever you call yourself at that point, go from not a computer science person to founding a blockchain company? <laughs> well, I, I will. I'll, I'll let Jack take that first. Yeah, I'll, I'll add the um, fact that I ended up actually dropping out of uh, Miami University. Um, which, again, I don't know if it's clear, but that's Miami University in the middle of a cornfield in Ohio. Um, and, uh, yeah, they just didn't um, – they had a blockchain course, which I took, and then they cut it right after. Um, there was no more – there was nothing else I could learn, and the stuff that I was learning in the CSE program, I just felt, like, not good enough, uh, out of date, not – not it wasn't being presented in a way that made sense for going into the job market that currently exists um so i was like screw it i don't want to do this um and from there you you kind of just start teaching yourself i mean you you come up with an objective um which is not that difficult um you know you can choose something that already exists the first few times when you're when you're building and you build it um, and you, you know, you have an idea of what you need and then you have to go through multiple rabbit holes to figure out all these things. And for the first month, for the first year, for the first three years, it, it that kind of imposter syndrome never goes away, but, uh, you know, you just kind of chip away at, at the areas that you don't know and you turn around, uh, a little bit later and suddenly you're, uh, pretty good with computer science. So, um, you know, if, if you like it and it's interesting, uh, you just got to start doing it. That's all there is to it. So between you and Ian, did you make it a total of eight years between Miami? So you kind of averaged out and even four or was it? <laughs> Pretty much. Okay. Less. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's all that really counts at the end of the day. Um, no, but the, the idea of what you're talking about where you have to really cut your teeth on your own project is probably the easiest. Well, it's the fastest way to learn. It's definitely probably the hardest way to learn, but it's also the best way sure. to learn because it, it was something that you're really passionate about. Tell us a little bit about what sparked that jump of being like, Hey, this, I'm going to do this project on my own now. And what, what, what were you trying to achieve that you couldn't at Miami? So we did a couple of different, um, like I, I played around with Hyperledger at one point and then, um, I, and that was for some hackathon that was popping up. So, you know, you can find something that will give you, credentials uh, or, or like accolades or things um, that, you know, you can throw on your resume. But um, it, it wasn't really anything that was going to go anywhere after that event. So we did a couple of things like that. Um, and then eventually um, we had someone reach out to uh, the Miami University Blockchain Club, which I guess I, I glazed over the fact that I was also at one point the uh, president of that. Um, so that definitely helps. <laughs> 
but uh, they uh, this person contacted Miami University Blockchain Club, basically looking for a decentralized insurance protocol to be built. Um, and the pay was pretty bad, um, but it was pay and it was above minimum wage. So, you know, compared to working at um, the dining hall, it, it was a little bit better, right? And I got to actually uh, learn. So if you can also, I guess, if you can find that kind of um, just bare minimum where you're getting a little bit to still be learning, that's also super helpful. And, and it's not impossible to find that. What was the first project after that, that you actually got paid for that was pretty well and you're, and you could kind of see a future career there? Yeah. So that was uh, where I met Ian. Um, that was um, what has become today uh, rigor finance. Um, so essentially um, this um, group of people who has experience uh, with home construction, all of the different parts that go into it. I think they're based in um, uh, Southeastern uh, America. Um, they're like a pretty dominant uh, home construction player there. And uh they had this theory that using the degenerate lending of the crypto market, they could considerably beat the lending that uh, comes from the bank when you go to actually construct a house. You have to put 20% down and the bank will finance 80% of it. So the idea was maybe you could get 10% and 90% financed um, or something like that. Um, and it came to... Uh, I guess it wasn't Mach 34 at the time. It, it was a, a different company, but it came to us... Um, basically uh as like written and spoken requirements um kind of 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 what they wanted it to be and um you know the allocation to actually get it done not only with the smart contracts but the back end and, and uh front end and, and everything that would go into making uh, a minimum viable product for this um and there were definitely some issues um you know we put it together in three months so that we couldn't do everything but the core smart contract and the the general uh, ability to demonstrate it to investors was all there and that seems to have gone very well for them and, and they've been able to obviously their team is is very skilled as well um, but they've been able to continue to raise money and and bring more people onto the team so that they can kind of be self-sustaining that's cool yeah so, tell tell us a little bit more specifically about what rigor is and what it is that you built like what does the smart contract do um, and, uh, yeah, just tell us more specifics there. And this is, uh, it's, it's funny because this is, um, something we often think about where ZK could be a fantastic application, but, um, without all of that, essentially, um, there we'll, we'll talk about it without smart contracts really quickly. Um, you're building a house, right? You're, you're the guy who has all the money and the idea for the house, the, the deed to the land, um, you are called the owner um, and you go and hire a general contractor. And that person is basically your point of contact for getting this entire thing done. You don't really deal with anyone else. And, and this is general practice. Um, so you go to this general contractor, pay them whatever amount of money. Um, and then they turn around and subcontract. They bring on more people to do whatever laying concrete, um, you know, putting in the actual, uh, frame, insulation, whatever. Um, and all of these are essentially debt obligations. 
So you, you have um, workers that need to be paid. And there's also the actual materials, but I don't think that's addressed in this demo. It's, it's really just about dispersing payments to subcontractors and, and contractors. Um, but it serves basically as a, a platform for um, escrowing and dispersing um, payments for uh, home construction. And there's also uh, arbitration and disputes and all that stuff. Um, so ideally, it's a lot quicker than the settlement process is currently with uh, either uh, banks or, or a cash-based process, which you know cash can be very quick if you have the liquid cash on hand and you're present. But um, having it be digital uh, on a blockchain makes it instant anywhere. Um, and then on top of that, there is the lenders market. So I, it's not like public yet, but as they get it proven and, and they've worked out, uh, you know, they know that there's no um, possible uh, leaks or anything like that. Um, you know, I think that they're eventually going to get to the point where they're trying to bring people on and, and offer um, debt that is collateralized by um, essentially construction obligations. So um it's been long-winded, sure, but that that final part of debt collateralized by construction obligations is, I think, the takeaway of, of what River really is and, and what makes it different to most crypto debt products that are, are backed by algorithmic uh, whatever. Um, you know, there are a couple of them that are actually backed by something, or, or there's DAI that's backed by Ether, which, you know, is a special case, but... Um, Again, bringing hard assets on chain is something that's really interesting to us. Yeah, so going off of that, the idea would be you'd have a lending pool and the pool manager would choose what projects, what homes are, are you know, looking, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Looking like smart investments are, are going to generate uh, a return on investment. Then investors would come into the lending pool, give their money, uh, money to the manager, um, once the projects have concluded, that investment cycle has concluded, then they'll be given back their initial investment plus interest earned for that specific lending pool. And um, if someone, say, wanted to exit early, uh, the idea is these lending pools would have their own pool tokens. So when investors come in, they're given back rigor tokens. And if they choose to liquidate early, they can then exchange those on an external market like Uniswap or another AMM and uh, that way transfer the debt to someone else. Um, and that's actively being worked on right now might come into fruition in the next few months, but um, currently not actually uh, a part of the platform. So this is a really cool example of how crypto, blockchain, all this Web3 stuff can be a practical, have a practical use case. But to the people that are a little bit you know confused or kind of maybe Web3 haters or just like, not yet. It's a distraction and all theoretical. Why is it so important that rigor be built on the blockchain? And can't we just do without? Like, can't we just do it normally without without Web three? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why that's a smart decision. But um, one of the ones that's unique to rigor and kind of unique to the home construction industry. I, I didn't realize this until I uh, come aboard and joined the team, but. Um, the CEO of Rigger, uh, a guy named Isaac, has actually uh, created a large construction company in Florida and has um, over a decade of experience in this place. And, um, you know, over time, he got to see uh, there's a lot of shortcomings, um, one particularly being uh, the way tasks are funded uh, for construction projects. Um, what can end up happening is 
if there isn't good coordination between um, contractors and subcontractors, uh, people can kind of, there's no coordination or real um, control over where this money goes to. So um, if projects are delayed, um, uh, contractors may go in search of another project where they can earn more income, hire subcontractors to that project with um, income they've been given. But the way it works on the blockchain is everything's transparent. You can see the amount that's been paid. It's not more, it's not extra. You can see the timeline on when something's going to be complete. And, um, you know, where it really comes in handy is the immutability of the blockchain. You know, no one can change that unless they have signed on it with their digital signature. And, um, you know, verify this is what they want to take place other so it's just a, a great coordination layer and a way of keeping track of projects no one can change that and everything's transparent so i bet they want that in uh china right now with uh evergrand and, and just in general uh the uh mortgage strike because uh it's it's a little bit of a ponzi right that they, they take the money for uh whatever year it is and they use it to build the previous year's orders um so, and there's no obligation to go on chain, you know, people who are happy with uh, the status quo can continue using the status quo. This is just for people who are looking for an opportunity to um, compete, uh, find some sort of edge that makes them um, uh, different in the market, you know. So, um, you know, if you hate it, if you're a Web3 hater, then uh, steer clear <laughs> of it. It's, it's not going to... No, creep up on you. Thomas, you have a lot of Web3 haters you talk to. <laughs> no, not really, but you never know. There's, I know they're out there. Uh, so, so this is an example of one of your clients, I assume. So tell us a little bit about uh, Mach 34 and the consultancy you guys are starting. We are doing very much the same thing as uh, kind of before. Um, it, it's definitely really fun um, kind of touring all these different industries and um, applying, uh, you know, basically uh, decentralized computing, but at more and more so cryptography um, to these um, problems. So are you guys building projects internally or are you working with companies that come to you with a project idea? Yeah, so um, we, I guess, so we do some stuff internally and then we also do some stuff that we can't explicitly take credit for as Mach 34. Um, so uh, like Ian and I personally uh, are working with the Ethereum Foundation's privacy and scalability exploration team. Again, not affiliated in any way with Mach 34, just for <laughs> clarity. Um, but um, essentially that's then uh, kind of a, a window into uh, how all of this stuff gets done because otherwise we're basically just scraping the internet for information. Yep. So. Um, they, they've definitely been super supportive of uh, the research and development we're doing now. When you come across ideas, both ones that people come to you with, because uh, you're probably known as those guys that like do crypto stuff, um, and then ideas of your own, how do you know the difference between a good idea and a bad idea? And to give a little context to that of the, you know, like the skeuomorphic, like, hey, we're just going to put this on the blockchain or do this on the blockchain again. You probably hear that all the time. How do you know something is like a problem of today versus a problem of tomorrow? Does it save money? If, if it doesn't, then why are you doing it? Um, or if it provides some insane, like Bitcoin doesn't save money, but it, it um, you know, Vitalik's 
uh, file of Caladriel or whatever it is from um, uh, Lord of the Rings, like a, a light when all other lights are out. There is some use, but um, for the most part, if you can't make it efficient, then it doesn't work. So um, I think there are a lot of use cases that were thrown out in like 2018 because they just weren't efficient enough. Um, and I think a lot of them might be revisited actually um, with zero knowledge scale. Can you talk so. to us a little bit more about what zero knowledge is? I have a vague understanding on the scalability side, but could you attempt to explain zero knowledge to the children that we are? There's one commonly used zero knowledge example where it's, you have a colorblind friend that's holding two balls and you want to prove to them that they're different colors, but they can't actually see it. So the way you'd be able to verify their different colors is your friend would want to swap the balls behind their back and present them in front of you. And you have to tell them, uh, whether or not they've actually swapped the balls. And, you know, the first time you might get lucky, it'd be like a toss of a coin. Like, yes, you have, yes, you haven't. Maybe they have if it's the same color or not. But as they continue to do that over and over again, um, it'll become readily apparent that uh, they are actually different color because it's much, um, you're getting it much more right than 50% of the time. So yeah, you do eventually get to that point where you can be 99.9999% sure, but not 100%. But you get to the point where it's statistically significant enough, it doesn't really matter. So I, I think that example helps a lot with someone who's new to this area. That, that makes so much sense. And honestly, that just like clicked in my head too, because now I'm like, oh, now I understand why ZK rollups are going to be so important with um, Ethereum. So that actually helped me a lot too. Are there any projects that you can talk about um, that you're working on with zero knowledge? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think um, what Jack was mentioning before with the Ethereum Foundation, you know, this is separate from Mach 34, but um, our whole introduction to zero knowledge pretty much happened uh, last October at ETH Atlanta. Um, I don't know, Jack, do you, if you want to go back and talk about providing baseline a little bit after this, I'm just going to touch over what we're doing right now, but I think you'd be the man for that. Um, but basically, we had our introduction there. Um, and Jack, him and I were both working at Rigor at the time. He's just plugging away on his own on zero knowledge for a while. And um, one of the examples of a zero knowledge application at ETH Atlanta was the idea of a battleship game. You know, you could play someone in battleship. You can verify that they've, um, you've actually hit each other's ships without, you know, giving information away where the coordinates are for the what other What a great ships. example. And, um, I love that. Well, yeah. No, so we took that idea and turned it into a project called Battle Zips, which the Z for the zero knowledge, um, pretty crafty name, but I uh, took that to ETH Denver and uh, built out even more um, what we had worked on at ETH Atlanta. Um, in fact, let me, I can go grab the link, or Jack, if you want to grab the link for them right now, we have a live site up. Um, but basically, uh, we got a lot of attention for that. You know, a lot of people at ETH uh, Denver had heard of zero knowledge, but in our presentation, we even asked, like, how many people have heard of zero knowledge? And a ton of people raised their hands. How many people know how to implement zero knowledge? No one raised their hands. Um, so the idea is that we wanted a uh, application where we could um, comment. Are you guys familiar with crypto zombies at all? Yeah, that for people who don't know what crypto zombies is, it's it's almost like a interactive game where people can come and become familiar with Solidity smart contracts. And both Jack and I uh, use that as a resource and came a long way because of it. You know, it's can be very helpful with such a uh, esoteric 
technical subject, having something interactive and colorful in front of you. So we wanted to do the same with battle zips because um, with zero knowledge, the documentation is just so sparse and it's either too technical or too um, too much of an overview without going into the details so that it could be really hard uh, to find the correct resources you would need to actually go ahead and learn this on your own. So um, that's the idea of what Battleships is. We want a concise way to, for people to come in and learn um, the ins and outs of zero knowledge, the prerequisites, what it takes to build an application from it. And um, that's what we're working on right now for the grant. And, you know, there's a ton of hurdles on the way. It's you know, we started thinking we were going to be done at the end of the summer. Now it's looking like maybe towards the end of 2022. Um, well, we had to switch our entire proving scheme. Uh, yeah. A whole uh, thing. A good old rewrite. Is it live right now or is it still like a uh, work in progress? The earlier version is live, the one we had to eat Denver. Um, but the later version is going to be much more usable. And we're planning to make it competitive with a Web2 application in terms of uh, usability speed of um game moves because right now it's all the way we've implemented it each move is on chain improved at, um like you prove yeah exactly you, you prove move by move but eventually you want to get to the point where we're actually making these moves over a state channel storing signatures off chain and then once the game is concluded we're going to roll up the entire game into one transaction and put it on chain so when we get to that point it should play like, you know, any standard online battleship game. Um, but it's a lot of work. So that, that's kept us occupied the past few months and we'll continue to. Nice. And you said that you're working on this through a grant? Yep. Yeah. We're working through the Ethereum Foundation right now. They've given us cool. a free milestone How, so grant. Talk to us about that. How's that work? Sure. Yeah. We didn't, uh, we didn't intend to get it. Um, it, it, Definitely. I mean, we were not planning on, on working on battle zips for this long. Um, the f we did want to do scalability with it, um, but to be so focused on it, I guess, um, has has been a product of the grant. Um, but again, after October, um, I think that seeing that we had anything coming out of October is, is very generous because uh, I personally felt like we had nothing. Um, and that that really pissed me off. That's kind of what galvanized me on, on that front to immediately start working on it. Um, so I, at that point, you know, I, I was already building it. I figured we may as well just throw this at ETH Denver. Um, and there was a lot of momentum from that. I think even without it, um, the Ethereum Foundation's team, the privacy and scalability team heard scalability and, and they were very <laughs> interested. Um, so, um, I, it, it's kind of, um, you know, very much in their wheelhouse. Um, and, uh, you know, it, a little bit of stars just aligning. We, we didn't necessarily do too much on the outreach. We were mainly focusing all of our effort on just building and, and they kind of took notice. Is the grant system just, they, they see you working on a cool project and throw some money your way and, um, and is that, and then you build it and set it? <laughs> Yeah, more or less. I mean, so Battlezips yep. has no monetization whatsoever, um, and it never will. Uh, that's that's an important part of uh, getting this grant, and again, something that was going to happen even before getting the grant. Um, but the entire point of it is just to be a, um, a reference implementation uh, for ourselves and for others. Um, so the value to the Ethereum Foundation or, or anyone else is basically that 
once this is built, there is this brand new tool that, uh, well, maybe not tool per se, but um, example of how you can implement arbitrary zero knowledge to a uh, strong effect, both for the privacy and the scalability. Um, and then other people who have never touched this before can turn around and use it. So, um, you know, it's definitely a two-way street. So this is kind of like a hello world, almost yeah. use case. Gotcha. Very so then so. what are what are some, based on what you know so far, and I'm sure you're learning more and more every single day as you, you know, explore on how to actually implement this, what have been some really novel ideas on practical use cases for zero knowledge that also get you excited? I think the idea, and this is a little bit what Battlezips is kind of skating towards already, but the idea that we can have these packaged proofs of arbitrary things, um, proof of battleship game, proof of valid academic diploma, proof of driver's license, proof of uh, compliance on a withdrawal, um, which I know some people might not love uh, in in the Tornado Cash era, but others will probably be um, very much a fan of. So um, there's a lot of room for kind of like both surface level things that are, again, um, like tornado cash and and proof of compliance, that kind of stuff where you're focusing on bridging those kinds of gaps. And then it can be a little more imaginative um, in where another one that's kind of thrown around very frequently is um, that's kind of pie in the sky, but um, is uh, proof of of reserves for uh, banks um, that have, I guess they don't even have a federal reserve requirement ratio anymore technically, but um, if sanity ever comes back um, and we decide to have uh, reserve requirement ratios again, uh, we could enforce them without requiring the banks to give up uh, sensitive information about their investments or their positions that they might not want to. Um, so, so those those kinds of things are still very much in the box too. So it'll be cool once more and more people are starting to think about it and, and come up with more creative ideas. So say like if we took that bank example and reserves and then applied that to just normal businesses. So like you as an agency, if someone comes to you with a, an idea of something to build, you can almost use your knowledge to say like, yeah, this this company actually does have funds. They are serious versus no, they're absolutely just full of it. They don't have money. And without really intrusion of sensitive data, any of this. So you don't even have to connect to their wallet or would you, or how, how, how would, how would that work? So just really quick credit scoring is probably one I should have said. Yeah, you're definitely right. That's one of the biggest ones actually. Um, you would have to connect a wallet at some point. You have to have some sort of identity and you actually have to technically have two wallets. Like your key that you use on layer two with ZK is different from the key you use in uh, layer one. So at the very least, you will have to um, associate a layer two key with a layer one key. And then from there, you might be always using your layer two key, which is costless um, and uh you don't really notice the UX is, is like basically the same as web two. Um, and then to exit, maybe you, you do have to, um, also make a, a, or when you, when you play a game, uh, whoever wins when they want to put that like on their record, they would have to post a single transaction. Um, but so there's a lot that happens with signing and having to be logged into your account. Um, but it doesn't happen with MetaMask per se. 
Are there any zero knowledge projects out there that you guys are, are eyeing or that you're really excited about? ZK EVMs are definitely the big ones right now. Um, and it's it's still like in the age of kind of like architecture. The the actual applications are still a little bit lacking. Um, one is dark forest. I would say that this is not like going to change like society. This is just going to change developers to start working on zero knowledge. But if you are a developer kind of interested in how it works, um, dark forest is a really great way to kind of see what zero knowledge looks like from uh, the user perspective. And uh, I think if you hopped in their discord and said that you were um, an aspiring ZK dev, they would instantly give you a key. You need to be whitelisted. But again, if, if you're just trying to develop, they will give it to you. Um, that one's great. Um, Macy has been actually, uh, so like, ETH Denver was uh, the the voting occurred using a, a zero knowledge um, application called minimal anti collusion infrastructure, um, which I'm not going to go into too much. There's a couple of things, but that's been cool to see uh, that infrastructure tested. And <laughs> obviously, Tornado Cash. Um, you know, on the one hand, it sucks that it's happening, but on the other hand, it's a trial by fire, and we're we're seeing that zero knowledge cryptography is so powerful that the feds literally have to sanction it to stop it. They can't break it. So if we're able to reforge this cryptography in ways that work for us instead of uh, in ways that, well, I, it works for some people for sure in Tornado Cash, but in, in ways that, um, you know, are, are maybe a little less aggravating um, to certain three-letter agencies, um, there are a lot of possibilities uh, for securing uh, ownership. I want to go back to kind of what you guys are doing at Mach 34 is there a, is it just you guys or is there other people involved here? Yeah, it's, uh, so it's just us, but we have uh, a network. Um, so specifically, I guess um, there's a DAO called uh, Raid Guild. I, you know, Ian, you're probably better to talk about Raid Guild than I am, but, um, you know, we, we would definitely uh, have the opportunity to scale up if we needed a team cool. of three, four, five, mm. six plus. Yeah, because I had mentioned Raid Guild briefly before. Um... And yeah, if you guys haven't heard of it, what Raygill basically is, it's a uh, service DAO. So DAOs have kind of been a hot topic this year, 2022. Um, what a service DAO is, is it's just a collective of developers or people interested in working, at least right now, particularly in Web3. I guess it could be any industry down the road, but right now it's pretty niche. Uh, but um, people can come in. It's kind of medieval themed um, with projects. They'll have an initial consultation. And if uh, Raygill is interested in bringing the project on, the client's interested in coming aboard after the consultation, then it'll officially be, uh, be what's called a raid. And then uh, devs can vote on the DAO who wants to come aboard the raid and then participate, uh, complete work, uh, work each week, and then they're able to open a proposal saying, I've completed this, I would like to take such and such amount from the treasury. And um, that's a basic overview of how they work. I think Ray Guild's the biggest right now. It's got, I think, over 100 people. Jack's actually a member. Uh, I did not have time to become a member this past year, unfortunately. But um, Oh, you didn't send that? Yeah. Oh, what? I, I thought you sent it on that, but uh, no, anyways. No, it m must be nice. Uh, um, to, to summarize that. He's just uh, posing over here. You, you thought um, he was a member this whole time. The, the, <laughs> I, 
Um, we 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 work a lot in this space. We can't tell each other, uh, each other everything, but I guess so. you know, I'll join you soon enough. The the point of bringing them up is is that we could wrap basically our engagement in a raid guild engagement, um, and you know serve the um, kind of client facing roles as well as some of the more expensive. Uh, like you know personally, uh, we like to handle uh, like the smart contract mm-hmm. stuff, which is generally harder to find someone for. Uh, but you know, outsourcing some of the other stuff, whether it's um, kind of um, less, uh, you know, we also do a lot of the back end, and Ian does a lot of the front end. But um, kind of either parts of those, we might choose to uh, outsource. Given you know, if we if we have a project that's like three, four, five, six people required to get it done on time, um, so you know that again is um, a network of of really um, talented and and interested in web three, uh, people. Um, so, you know, it's been really great to, uh, you know, meet them and be a part of that community, but also, uh, we're kind of looking forward to leveraging it, um, you know, for profit. This is really cool. So as Airbnb was kind of like the biggest hotel without actually having like any hotel locations and stuff, this could be kind of like the agency without actually being almost an agency. Is that like a fair assumption? Yeah, there's comparison. definitely some some room to grow and some uh, some UX challenges for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Generally, the way that DAOs work today, I think, are probably a little primitive. But um, you know, they're also some of the uh, most OG builders in the space. So if anyone's going to be upgrading stuff, it's them. Um, so yeah. So on so like on that thought, like what's the what's the business model? Like how how do you make money uh, or do you have to do the work to make the money? You do um, work. Yeah. Gotcha. Same way that a, a normal job works or, or you know, actual Uber. Um, it's, so do, I would say it's definitely closer to Uber than Airbnb. Um, gotcha. that, uh, you are renting your time. You're, you're, it's, it's not necessarily like a, a capital resource. Whereas your house is in, in the case of, of you lending it. Except um, the Uber takes a very, very small cut then? So yeah, so it, if we needed to scale up, um, Mach 34 would lose 10% of that going basically to Ray Guild. And that's perfectly does fine. Does that you know, 10% go to the guild or does that go to the worker doing the actual project yeah. for you? No, yeah, so, so I, sorry, go on. <laughs> nah, no worries. Um, so the idea is it would be sent to the guild address, which is the DAO address. And then uh, the people who are working on the project uh, would then submit their proposals based on the work they've done. And everyone, it's public to everyone in the DAO. So if someone thinks you don't deserve the money, they're going to vote against you and you're not going to get it, um, which is kind of, you know, it's scary, but cool in a way because this is completely driven by the community. It's not driven by mm-hmm. one person calling all the shots. It's, you know, so there's no there's no person um, or entity taking oh, yeah. any cut other than the actual worker doing the work. I think the Dell Treasury does take a ten percent. I think that's where that ten percent goes, and then they use that Treasury for like their own infrastructure. So it's not like they're using it to line their pockets or anything. Uh, Got it. So on top of paying for the actual labor, there's also a ten percent that that stays. But the cool thing here is that. If, if we call that DAO like a company or an agency, um, 
they're being extremely transparent and they can prove what goes where and it's it's more so community driven and it's yeah it it is not you know just like devscale or mock 34 or whatever other agencies there are like it there's no like leadership team that just makes an executive decision because it is a it's a community decision Thomas and I've been talking about this a little bit. Where do you guys think the future of agencies is? You know, like we, we've been running an agency for the past six or seven years. Uh, but when I see that, there's no need for me. <laughs> Are you really put out of business or do you just kind of have to change how you're standing a, a little bit? You know, it's it might be a very similar game to the one you're currently playing. Just, mm-hmm. you know, instead of it being through a company, it's through a DAO. Um, and there are power structures that emerge. There are factions. There are uh, people who will, um, you know, hmm. always vote with one pack or another pack. Um, so it definitely, uh, yeah. it's it's not super. I haven't foreign, been. I don't think. Um, and Sean, I still, if, Sean, if we do that, we're going to have to keep the theme just start <laughs> yeah. breaking on our medieval terminology yeah so i haven't part been of the i was in yeah. one day i was in the uh the denver like by the broncos dow for a bit but then like a month later the walmart family bought the broncos so then i stopped paying attention um do you think there's a future where agencies like us and like you are lar- like the default is just to, to create a dow to do this work yeah, no, I, I'm a part of another DAO right now called Plaza, which is uh, another service DAO like Great Guild. I mean, honestly, I, I I don't know if it's the future or not. You know, there's a lot of kinks that need to be worked out right now. I think when we get to a point where things are a little more set in stone and there's more of a um, a structure to how DAOs should be set up and more of a framework for f- setting them up, um, with flexibility, because right now, uh, Ray Guild and Plaster, they're both, uh, they both exist on top of uh, Dow House, which employs a Dow structure called Malik Dow, um, which is one of the, there was one before that, but this is like one, one of the uh, earlier Dow, um, I don't know if framework's the right word, but just, just a um, commonly adopted Dow structure. Um, I think we have a long way to go because there's definitely some things that are a little confusing the way DAOs work, um, proposal cycles work. And I don't know, It's it, I could definitely see it not being for everyone, but someone who's worked in the Web3 space the past two years, I'm used to this sort of thing. So, um, you know, I, I guess only the future would tell. I, I don't know if you have a different opinion than me, Jack, but I think up in the air. Yeah, I think that uh, the tooling needs to mature more. There needs to be ZK. Um, I think, you know, personally, I I do think it's good for, you know, everyone in a company to see everyone else's pay. You know, if you're making 100 times more than someone else, at least justify it to their face. Um, But uh, there still needs to be compartmentalization uh, for proper corporate structures to spring up and, and until then it's it's very limited and uh, a little bit of a toy even though there are ones that do function have made millions and millions of dollars um, and have employed a lot of people uh, it's it's not at market saturation by any means so it could be I could really easily see here how you know service DAOs like this could become 
almost employers or like the way employers kind of work today. So it'll be so like concepts that are really interesting. I could immediately see from a gosh darn kind of rules and regulations, which I'm not a big fan of perspective, but like W2s and benefits, like how can W2s then work within like a service DAO? Like how would that work? Or uh, maybe another example could be even like labor unions, how this would kind of destroy labor unions because it would just eliminate the need for the union kind of bosses and that hierarchy to exist because this would be. Well, DAOs are are based on financial stake and generally the workers in a union don't have much financial stake. Um, So I still think that there is definitely that issue, but there might also be the opportunity for unionization to be enhanced by DAOs as well to be some sort of um, connected layer to governance. like it, it could be like native to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's very much up in the air. And uh, I mean, there are a lot of people uh, at places like Moloch Dao who are uh, very focused on kind of figuring a lot of that out. Great. Well, thanks, guys. If um, anyone listening wants to learn more about you guys um, individually or as a company, where can they go? Yeah, so uh, if you were a developer or interested in zero knowledge or something like that, uh, I would point you towards uh, Battlezips, um, which uh, we have a Discord that I think we'll probably drop in this chat really quickly. Um, and then, um, you know, if you're looking for some more professional guidance on implementing uh, or, or potentially even, um, you know, actually having something constructed that implements zero knowledge or just any, any genuine. <laughs> any general web three um you know uh we've been at it for a while so um we can definitely handle it great and is it mock four dot space did i get that right mock 34 i missed the three mock 34 dot space so mock 33 is uh the escape velocity from earth's atmosphere and uh mock 34 is just a little bit faster Anyway, thanks guys for being on the show. This is awesome. Thank you so much for having us on.